My name is John Pope. I'm a volunteer speaker with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and have an interest in the ordinary men and women who served in extraordinary times. This week on Those Who Served, a short review of Season 2 with a look at some future plans, some responses to listener feedback and some news updates. I'd like to start by thanking the many hundreds, if not thousands of you, who've been listening to each episode, and for your reviews, your comments and emails, and your support on Twitter and Instagram. I continue to be surprised at how quickly and how extensively the engagement with the podcast has grown, and long may it continue. A brief analysis shows that most of the listeners are in the UK, but people also listen in the US and Canada, Australia, Africa and the Middle East. So welcome to all of them. For this series, the Those Who Served website has been the most popular platform, followed by Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google, although sometime in the new year, Google will no longer be available as a platform. Other listeners use a range of different methods, too numerous to mention here, which are popular in their regions. As before, more than five times as many people listen on mobile phones than on tablets or desktop computers, which suggests to me that most podcasts are listened to whilst people are on the move or doing something else, such as exercise. So I've tried to make the podcast website www.thosewhoserve.co.uk more mobile-friendly, especially in the way it shares pictures, maps and links. You can find these on the website via the episode extras pages, and there's one page per episode. These are generally released 12 to 24 hours before the episode is launched, at 12 midnight on a Friday night. I've noticed that due to time differences, some listeners in Australia and New Zealand have already downloaded the podcast before I get up on a Saturday morning. Since the episode extras pages were becoming quite lengthy and difficult to manage, especially when viewing by mobile, I have created a series tab, with 10 to 11 episodes per tab, just to keep things easier to index and easier to find. Each episode is available under the name of the personal persons who are covered in the story for that particular episode. One of the key reasons for making this podcast was to encourage listeners to suggest subjects for further episodes. Thankfully, people have come forward and shared material, including photographs, letters and family stories about those who served in World War I and II. Much of this primary source material might otherwise have remained hidden away, so I'd like to thank everyone who shared material, and I will always credit the source as accurately as I can on the website, or include my thanks as part of the closing sequence of the podcast. I've also received ideas and suggestions for stories from my volunteer colleagues at the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission chiefly Sarah Nathaniel and Carl Rusbridge, but I'd welcome ideas from anyone who has an interesting story to tell. I also volunteer as a moderator on the Forevermore series, and if you'd like to visit the Commonwealth Wargraves website, you can see some of the stories that are featured there. Another reason for creating the podcast was to provide a simple act of remembrance, just 15 to 20 minutes to tell the story of someone who served, who they were, where they came from, what they did before the war, and sometimes what happened to them afterwards. Following feedback from the first series, 
the second series featured a greater balance between those who died on active service and those who survived. We started Series 2 with Rifleman Gus Dewson, the 16th London Regiment, the Queen's Westminster Rifles. Gus had led a very busy war, seeing action and receiving wounds on the first day of the Somme, on the snowy mountain slopes of Salonika, and in the fiery heat of Palestine, all in the space of 18 months. After the war, he returned to his civilian job as a bank clerk, rising to branch manager by the time he retired. Sadly, his medals and a number of other personal treasures were stolen by his housekeeper shortly before he died in the early 1990s. Subsequent episodes dealt with Émile Motron, a French reservist killed in 1915 and commemorated on the Ring of Memory near Notre-Dame-de-Lorette, and the War Brothers, two local Dorset boys, one a gardener, the other a gamekeeper, who left their homes in 1915 and 1917 never to return. Wallace War was killed during the Battle of Teepbal, and his body was lost forever in the mud of the Somme. John War died from the effects of gas, sustained just a few weeks before the armistice. He succumbed in a base hospital in Eastbourne, over four months later, and was buried next to his mother Louisa in the tiny hamlet of Holwell in Dorset. In early November, we told the story of Harry Pope, a very distant family member, a butcher's boy from Portsmouth. He was killed on the first day of the Third Battle of the Aisne in May 1918, the final roll of the dice by the German army, attacking south from the Chemin de Dam towards the British lines west of Reims. What made Harry's story particularly poignant was the letters written by his father Edward to the War Office and the Durham Light Infantry Depot. Polite, persistent, but increasingly desperate to learn more about his missing son's fate. Episode 5 described the tale of a crew of a Luftwaffe Heinkel 111 which crashed in flames one cold January night in 1941, north of Stenning in West Sussex. At the time, there was some local resistance to the dead airmen being buried in the nearby St Andrew's churchyard. In the 1950s, four of the five graves were moved to Cannock Chase German Military Cemetery, whilst the fifth, pilot Hauptmann Frederick Graf zu Kastel Kastel, a German-Danish count, was repatriated to the family plot on the Austrian-German border near Salzburg. This episode produced the largest response from listeners on email, with roughly half applauding the inclusion of the story and half suggesting that the bodies of Germans were still unwelcome in British military cemeteries. In a slightly geographically related theme, the next episode dealt with a young RAF squadron leader from the same cemetery. Ronald Sampson. He was attached to the telecommunications research unit at RAF Defford in Worcestershire and was associated with the development of the H2S radar system. Sadly, he, the crew and four civilian observers, including Alan Blumline of EMI, were killed when their adapted Halifax bomber crashed near the banks of the River Wye in South Wales in June 1942. The circumstances of their deaths were kept secret at the request of Churchill, until long after the war. Episodes 7 and 8 told a two-part story based on the book A Foreign Field by Ben McIntyre. It told of four Tommies caught up behind German lines following the retreat south and west from Mons in August 1914. 
The local people in the hamlet of Villaray took pity on the soldiers and tried to shield them from the Germans by disguising them as farm labourers. They were successful, and the soldiers' attempts to rejoin their units were made impossible by the static nature of frontline trench warfare. One of the four, Private Robert Digby of the 1st Battalion the Hampshire Regiment, spoke French, and soon became passionately engaged with a local girl, Claire Dessine. By the time the four men were eventually betrayed by the village mayor in May 1916, almost two years later, Robert and Claire had a little girl, Hélène. Sadly, the Villaray four were executed as spies by the Germans at the end of May 1916 and buried in the Catalay churchyard. Despite deportation and the privations of World War II, both Claire and Hélène remained in the village, and Hélène lived on until 2005 regularly visiting the grave of her departed English father. The final episode of the series described the fortunate escape of Sergeant Westmore Calhoun, the mid-upper gunner of Lancaster G for George. The butcher's apprentice from rural Victoria was one of four Australians in the crew, and they had flown more than half of their required missions when they were hit by flak over Milan in October 1942. They encountered more anti-aircraft flyer over Le Havre on their return. Unable to gain height, the Lancaster attempted to land at Ford near Littlehampton in West Sussex. However, the plane crashed in the fields near the River Arran, about 400 yards north of the airfield, with Sergeant Colquhoun the only survivor. He returned to his hometown of Druin after the war, running the family butchers until his death in 1988. All of the episodes, the photographs, maps and links remain available for download on the website www.thosewhoserve.co.uk or your preferred podcast platform. At the last roundup, I offered a brief review of Series 2, including a nurse who met a famous Hollywood film star at a dance and failed to recognise him. Although I won't share the name of the nurse, the Hollywood film star was Clark Gable. I live on the coast in West Sussex, and local legend has it that Gable, who was in the US Air Force, was one of the flight crew in a B-17 aircraft, which was forced to land at Appledram, just south of Chichester, on the 30th of June 1943. Appledram was a temporary airstrip on the Lavant Peninsula, and was chiefly used later in the war by Polish and Czech squadrons supporting D-Day with typhoons and spitfires. It's also rumoured that General Eisenhower landed there on the 21st of April 1944 as part of the preparations for the air and sea invasion. Whilst his aircraft underwent some repairs, Gable was invited to a dance at a pub in the cathedral town. Some say the Unicorn, others the Eastgate on the Hornet. The story was that Gable spent some time chatting to a pretty young nurse from St Richard's Hospital, although she later claimed that she had no idea who he was. A little research and some local investigation showed that there was no substance to support the story. Whilst Gable did fly in a B-17, which was damaged by anti-aircraft fire in a raid over Gelsenkirchen in August 1943, it landed safely at its home airfield in Northamptonshire. The family of the nurse who supplied the story were more direct, suggesting that she just made the whole thing up as a bit of a joke, and that she'd then become trapped into repeating the story again and again until it became some sort of urban myth. Part of the research for these podcasts allows me to explore these ideas and other related themes, 
besides the military history. For Series 2, these included the Order of the White Feather, letters from officials to grieving parents, the reburial and repatriation of bodies, the secrecy surrounding wartime missions, some of which continued many years after hostilities ceased, and the legacy of foreign soldiers, left behind in a small village in northern France. My main sources of information include the family history sites, but also battalion war diaries, national archives, divisional histories and books, which may relate to a specific area, for example the recent episodes on the Villaray 4. So I aim to continue inviting listeners to suggest subjects for the podcasts. I'd welcome as much information as you have. Names, photograph, scraps of detail about where they were from. It all helps, but it's surprising what a little more in-depth research turns up. One point that listeners have raised is that the focus of the stories so far has favoured the Army and the Air Force over the Navy, so I aim to redress that balance in Series 3. Oddly enough, while most of my family members who fought in World War I served in the Army, all of my family members from World War II served in the Navy, so to continue the tradition it should be a simple matter of finding appropriate naval stories. There'll be a short gap over the Christmas and New Year period, and this roundup and the previous episode were pre-recorded, but Series 3 will begin sometime in January 2024, so all the very best for the holiday season. Until next time, thank you for listening to Those Who Served, with me, John Pope. You can show your support for this free podcast by clicking on buymeacoffee.com on the How to Listen page of the Those Who Served website. All funds are used to cover the costs of research, production and syndication. You can join in with the show by sharing what details you know of a family member or friend who served in a 20th century conflict. Simply email me at info at those who serve.co.uk. Thank you.